time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. And I want to I start by talking about this guy in the Bible. His name is David. Anybody ever heard of David? You know who David is in the Bible? There's a few things we know about David. We know about the way that he... Uh, killed Goliath, right? We know that story pretty well, right? David was a little guy. He goes up with a slingshot, throws a rock, hits Goliath in the head. Goliath falls down dead. David cuts his head off, whatever, you know, maybe we don't talk about that part of the story, but you know, that's just what happens. You know, we know about that. We know, we know that David was the king of Israel, right? Right. And so he started off as a shepherd boy and then he ended up as the king of Israel. And and David was known as a great king. and, And it seems like he would have a lot to be thankful for. It seems like he would have a lot to, be, to have gratitude about. But the truth is, is what we're talking about today is, is the idea of being thankful, of, of having gratitude, even in the midst of difficult times. Even when things aren't always going easy, even when things don't seem to be like, man, I am so blessed. I just, I woke up this morning before my alarm even went off. I popped out of bed and my clothes were already sitting out ready for me. I, I, I put them on. I went out. The girl that I liked smiled at me. And then I went to school and my teacher said, oh, you're so smart. You don't even need to be here today. You know, I, I, even when we aren't having one of those days. Do you guys have those days a lot? I know a lot of you guys have those days. What do we do when life is, a, is hard, when things are difficult? How do we have gratitude? How do we give thanks in those moments? And we see that in David. David shows that in his life because his life was not always easy. And in 1 Samuel, this is where we'll start, we're going to start talking about David. 1 Samuel 18. Um, so so I, I, I kind of just want to talk about the story of David today. And I want to talk mostly about, if, if you read your Bible and you read 1 Samuel 19, 20, 21, this is kind of the story of David in the wilderness. This is a wilderness season. We don't talk about it a lot, but I think it's a really important part of his life. But it starts in chapter 18. I think chapter 18 is a pretty important piece as we look into who David was. So here's David. He was a kid. Uh, he was out. He was a shepherd boy. He was taking care of the sheep. Like Samuel came and was going to anoint the next king. So David's dad was like, let me round up my boys. And Samuel, but but he was like, oh, David probably is not going to be king. I'm going to let him out with the sheep. Samuel looks at all of David's brothers. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't you have another? And, and, And he was like, oh, yeah, well, I got this little guy. He's out with the sheep, but he wouldn't be it. And then he was like, no, bring him to me. David gets anointed to be king. Imagine being, being like hanging out with sheep. And then you come home for dinner and you find out you're going to be the next king. That's pretty sweet. That's a good day, right? Then, then David goes out. He kills Goliath. These are good things happening in David's life, right? Like, like he's kind of a, his life is pretty good. So he gets, he's hanging out with Saul. Saul is the current king. And, uh, and, and Saul puts David in the army and puts him over stuff. And, and David's pretty successful. Like life is going pretty well for him. He's actually so good that, that they start singing songs about him. They say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is 10,000. Meaning David is 10 times the warrior that the king is. I, that's a, I mean, I don't know what's going on in David, but like when all the ladies, all the ladies in the entire country are singing songs about how you're 10 times better than the king, you're like, what's up? I mean, you know, you walk down the street and you hear a girl singing, David has killed 10,000. You're like, that's me. What's up? 
You know, that's David singing about life is good. David's probably feeling pretty good, right? But the thing is, is Saul doesn't really like it. And Saul is like, who is this guy? Everybody's singing about him. He's getting all the fame. I don't, I don't know if I like this kid. I don't know if I like this. And, and this guy, eventually he's going to want to take my seat. I'm the king. Eventually he's going to want to do it. So one of David's jobs was to play the harp uh, to, for Saul. So he's sitting in there and uh, he's playing his harp. I don't really know how to play the harp. You know, he's like, you know, and Saul is sitting on his throne and he has a spear in his hand. And all of a sudden he looks at his spear and he looks at David. He looks at his spear and he looks at David. And then he throws his spear at David. I mean, David's like playing the guitar. You know, he's just hanging out. And all of a sudden, the spear coming right at him. I I mean, maybe, I don't know if he hit a wrong chord or something. But like, Saul must not have liked that song. Spear coming. It says, if you read in in 1 Samuel 18, that Saul threw two spears at him. David had to dodge spears twice. Like, so the spear's coming. He's like, whoa, you know, missed one. Then all of a sudden, another spear coming right at him. This is like, whoa, why is this dude throwing spears at me? This is weird. I'm like kind of a big deal. And now he's trying to throw spears at me. So David's best friend is Jonathan, who is Saul's son. So he's like, my best friend's dad is trying to kill me. This is weird, right? And so Jonathan and David are hanging out. And David's like, bro, bro, your dad tried to kill me today. And Jonathan was like, oh, I know he does that sometimes. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, he actually wants to keep killing you. Or he wants to kill you more. I don't know how you do that. He wants to, he's going to keep trying to kill you. Not kill you more, whatever. And he's like, so I don't know. You should probably get out of here. So David's like, I don't know. So Saul, Saul is like, okay, I, I'm going to put David in charge of armies so that he goes out and gets killed by the Philistines. Instead, David just wins. He comes back and, and Saul tries to trick David. And he says, okay, what I'll do is I'll have David marry my daughter. And then I'll say, I'll tell him, David, if you marry my daughter, then all I ask is that you do whatever missions I ask you to do. And so this is a pretty big deal to marry the king's daughter. This is a pretty big place of authority and status. And this is a, I mean, this is like the, like most guys that are in this time would have, when if the king offered you to get to marry his daughter, you're marrying into the king's family. That's a pretty big deal. And so, but, but I, I, we see in David's response when Saul offers this to him. He says in verse 18, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? Saul again offers David to marry his daughter. And David said, do you think, this is down in verse 23, do you think it is a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I am only a poor man and little known. I think there's something interesting that we see in David's life right here is that David knew that he had gotten a pretty good deal. David knew that he had gotten a better deal than he deserved. He had already gotten more than he deserved. Like as this small little shepherd boy, he had already gotten so much. He wasn't getting greedy saying, yeah, I deserve more. I should, I should become in the king's family and I should get all this. He knew he'd gotten a good deal. He knew he had gotten better than he deserved. And so he said, listen, Saul, it's okay. I don't need that. Who am I that, that you would offer this to me? And he didn't realize that Saul was doing it because he was trying to set him up because he wanted him to go on these missions and ultimately die. So Saul keeps trying to kill David. David has to flee. He's running. Uh, and, and so he has to run away from Saul. 
And so he, you think I'm just telling you a story. This is all in the Bible in case you, in case you don't know. So uh, you can read this for yourself later. But so, so, so David is like, okay, this Saul dude is trying to kill me. So, so uh, his wife comes up to me. She's like, hey, you should leave. You should get out, get out of the country. David's like, okay, so you can read it. uh, Let me see if I can find it real fast. It says, uh, so, so Michael, that's his wife, let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then she took a statue and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting, putting some goat's hair on its head. So David literally snuck out. I know you've tried this before. I know you've been like, man, if I could sneak out, I'll just put something in my bed. My parents walk in, they'll be like, oh, they're just asleep. That's not your idea. That is literally the oldest trick in the book. David did this. David snuck out. They tied some sheets together. He, he like repels down the wall. He, then his wife takes a statue's head and puts it in the bed, puts covers over it, puts some goat hair on it. And I don't even, it doesn't even make sense to me. Because like what? Is Saul going to walk in and be like, I'm coming to kill you. Oh, you're asleep. I'll wait till later. You know, like, I don't think that's what he was going to do. I don't get it. Like, like what's he going to walk in and be like, oh, he's under the covers. I'm just going to hold off and wait. I don't even get why they did that. But so David escapes. He goes off. He runs away. Now he's living. Here he is. He's supposed to be the next king. Here he is. He's, he's been like the most famous guy in all of the country. And now he's living in the mountains. And he's living in the wilderness on his own. He, he goes to this, uh, this one area and they recognize him and, as uh, having killed Goliath. He's hanging out with the Philistines. So he, ha- he actually starts to act crazy so that they don't kill him. Like here's the guy supposed to be the next king of Israel. And you read it in the Bible. It says that he is drooling down his beard, pretending to be insane. Like, I don't even know that here. This guy's supposed to have dignity. This guy is like the, I mean, King David, right? Like this is the guy that killed Goliath. This is the great King of Israel. He's like foaming at the mouth, pretending to be crazy. He's like, yeah, you know, and they're like, oh, we, I, I, this is a hard time for him. He's hanging out in his cave. It's called the cave of Adullam. And finally, some people start to join him, right? And you would think, oh, good. Finally, David has some friends, but no. It says all the people that came out to hang out with David were the people that were in distress, the people that were in debt, and the people that were discontented. I don't know about you, but that, like, you know, the whole show me your friends and I'll show you your future thing. Like, David gets, he's hanging out with all these people that are the outcasts that that can't hang out in the city. And he's like, my future ain't looking so good right now. Life is not so good. Saul sends whole armies to try and kill David. This is the guy that's like supposed to be the king. This is the guy that we look at and we're like, oh man, you know, he, he wrote so many of the Psalms. He, he, he was, you know, he, he, he was the king of Israel. He killed Goliath. His life must have been so great. And yet David went through some really hard times. Like, I don't know if you've ever had someone trying to chase you with spears. But that you have. So a couple of you. That's probably not a good day. I don't know if you've ever had to flee for your life or if you've ever had your king slash best friend's dad slash father-in-law try to kill you. I don't think any of you have father-in-law. So, but like David is like hanging out, sleeping in a cave. He's supposed to be the next king. And now he's sleeping in a cave. And somewhere in the midst of this time, he writes Psalm 69 and David he got this from his days as a shepherd boy when he was hanging out with the sheep and his guitar, writing songs. 
He wrote, in, during this season, he wrote Psalm 100. He wrote, he wrote a number of Psalms of praise. But I want to read Psalm 69. This, this was written, many scholars believe that this was written during this season of David's life. When he was fleeing for his life. When he was, when he was running from Saul, this guy that was trying to kill him. And I just want to read real fast, uh, verse 29 and verse 30. It says this, I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. In the midst of David's darkest hour, in the midst when it seemed like everything had gone away, surely he was doubting the, the whole anointed to be king thing, right? Like surely the, the, he was like, you know, that whole Samuel guy, I know he put some oil on my head and said I was going to be king, but this doesn't feel like the way to become king. This, I don't know if that's really going to happen. You know, like I had to leave my wife back in the castle when I snuck out and put the statue in my bed. So now I'm, I don't, my wife's gone. I'm lonely. You know, my, my best friend, his dad's trying to kill me. So we don't get to hang out anymore. I got no friends. I got no girlfriend. People are trying to kill me. And I'm, not going to reach, it doesn't seem like I'm going to reach the destiny that God had for me. This was a dark hour in his, in his life. This was a difficult time. This was not, yay, life is so good. And he takes time and he writes it down and he says, God, I will praise you here. He says, we can read it here, but as for me, afflicted and in pain, I'd say so. May your salvation protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. David chose in the midst of his pain, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of when, it seemed, when he couldn't see how he was going to get to where he wanted to go, when he couldn't see how he was going to become king, when he couldn't see his life ending in any way other than being killed at the hands of Saul. He said, even now, I'm going to choose have an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to choose to give you thanks. And I believe that we see it earlier in what I said in Psalm 18, in that David knew from the beginning that he had gotten a better deal than he deserved. He had already gotten more than he deserved because of God's, what God had given him. And because of that, there was a humility in him and there was a thankfulness in him. So that whatever happened, he was able to say, God, I trust you. You've delivered me before. You delivered me from lions and bears and Goliaths. I trust you again. May your salvation come. I am going to choose to thank you here, to thank you now. If we will be people that choose to give thanks in the midst of difficulty, in the midst when, uh, of times when it seems hard and it seems like things don't make sense and the world doesn't make sense and we don't know how everything's going to happen and turn out. I promise you, that you will be blessed by the Lord because of that. David, we see in his darkest hour, turning and giving thanks. These chapters of these wilderness chapters kind of wrap up 1 Samuel. Then we begin 2 Samuel, and the story begins to unfold where David begins to walk in his destiny. He begins to walk in who he was called to be. Steps into being king. But I believe it was because he had gratitude in his heart. It did two things. One, it kept him alive. 
Do you realize that if David hadn't been, had gratitude, if he hadn't been thankful for where God had brought him already, he probably would have accepted Saul's deal. He probably would have said, yeah, I'm a pretty big deal. I killed Goliath and now like people are singing about me and all the ladies love David. And so, you know, like this is pretty sweet. And you know what? Like I am a big deal. And so, yeah, I'll accept your deal. I'll, I'll marry into your family. And maybe this is how God's going to have me become king. Maybe this is the way that God will set it up that I become king as I I become the king's son-in-law. And then I don't know how it'll happen with Jonathan, but somehow I'll step into being king. And he would have taken it into his own hands. And he would have, in trying to step into what God had called him to do, because he he wouldn't have had a heart of gratitude saying, I've been blessed. I don't need to be blessed. You know, I I don't need that. I don't deserve that. I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm going to just be thankful for where I, what I've gotten. If he would have been greedy and said, yeah, give me more, give me more, give me more. Then he would have said yes to Saul's deal. And probably, of course we don't know, but probably would have been sent out on missions and ended up dying because he had accepted the deal. Gratitude in David's heart kept him alive. Gratitude in David's heart kept him on track to step into the calling And the destiny that God had for him. Even though it seemed completely different than what everyone thought. Even though it seemed completely different than how he would have thought it would have gone. Because he was thankful. In that moment, we see him walking into that. And he praised God. He, he sang of God's praises over and over again. I mean, the, 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 we read through the Psalms. Many of them were written by David. And, and you just see thanksgiving to God, praise to God, singing of who God is. Over and over again, the, the, the most repeated phrase are the phrases by David of giving thanks to God. David was someone who had immense gratitude. Do you know what Jesus, I mean, when we read, when, when we read what God says about David in Acts, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. And it says that he fulfilled everything God had for him in his generation. He was a man after God's own heart. I believe that if we would be people that are thankful, that have gratitude in our heart. What that is, is that gratitude, thank, do you know what I mean when I say that? I've said it a lot. Being thankful is the soil in which our relationship with God grows. It's the soil in which, which we can have a healthy relationship and out of having thankfulness in our heart, even in the midst of difficult struggle, even when, when life seems difficult, when it seems hard, when we say, I'm going I'm to praise you anyway. I'm going to give thanks for what, I have, what you have given me anyway. In that, we see God pouring out blessing. We see God giving honor to that. And we, we grow in relationship with him. He's looking for a thankful people. I want to tell you a story. There's this guy. Uh, he, he's a well-known uh, Bible scholar. And... Uh, and, and this is just kind of funny. He, one day he got robbed. This is, this is hundreds of years ago. Um, but he got robbed and, and he wrote in his journal. And I just want to read to you what he wrote in his journal that day. He said, after he had just gotten robbed, right? Taking all his money. He said, let me be thankful for four reasons. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although, although they took my all, it was not very much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I 
who did rob. He said, you know what? Even in the midst of difficulty, and I know that that's hard. It's hard. We're like, man, life is difficult. Things seem hard. How can I give thanks right now? What can I possibly be thankful for? Here's this guy. He'd just gotten robbed. And he's like, okay, well, what can I be thankful for? Well, you know what? This is the first time I've ever been robbed before. That's a good thing. And you know what? They didn't kill me. Win number two. They took everything I have. And guess what? They didn't get away with very much. See, you can be thankful about being poor when people rob you. And then he said, and I'm grateful that I was the one that got robbed instead of the one doing the robbing. Even in the middle of difficulty, would we be those kind of people that begin to say, okay, God, how can I be thankful? What can I be thankful for here? And we look and we say, what's the way that I can develop this attitude of gratitude? What's the way that I can develop being thankful for what you have given me, for how much you have provided for me? Because do you know that where we stand today, for all of you that have given your life to Jesus... Where we stand is that we've been given a better deal than we deserve. Where we stand by Jesus giving his life, coming from heaven to earth, giving his life for us, salvation and redemption and life in God adopted as sons, adopted as daughters into the kingdom of God. Where we stand is we've been given a better deal than we deserve. And because of that, we can be thankful no matter the circumstance. No matter what comes, we can say, you know what? I am thankful even in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of this pain. I know that Jesus has given me more than I deserve. I know that even though this seems hard, he is going to be faithful to see me through this. He is my provider. He is my protector. He is, he is the good shepherd. Psalm 100, we read Psalm 100. It talks about giving thanks, entering into his courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. Psalm 100 also goes on to say, we are the sheep of his pasture. And that he loves us. God loves you. That in and of itself is enough to be thankful for. So when we go to school and we failed the test and we're like, oh, I want to be so angry because it wasn't fair because they told me that it was going to be open book and then it wasn't open book. And so I opened my book and then they said I cheated. And so then I failed. Even in that bad moment. And we're like dreading going home and talking to our parents. We can say, okay, how can I be thankful in this moment? And that one's going to really test you because I don't really know how. But you can look at, okay, what have I been? I, I've been given the opportunity to go to school. I have the opportunity to learn. I, I live in a country where I can do that. I, my parents drive me to school every day. I have, I have the opportunity to, to okay, like, this is, this is okay. I, I'm not, this isn't the end of the world. When we begin to be thankful for things and we begin to think, what can I be thankful for? It gives you a right perspective on what's going on, really. And I'm not saying that life doesn't get hard. I'm not saying that we won't have difficult times. I'm not saying that what you're going through isn't a very hard thing. But if we'll say, okay, Jesus, how can I give you thanks? And what can I be thankful for here in this moment? It will begin to shape the way we see things. It will begin to shape how we act. And it will, it will give us the right perspective. So three things to help us with how to be people that cultivate, that, that work at having an attitude of gratitude, that work on, on being thankful. Is the first thing is your thoughts. Your thoughts are a huge part of how you, think, of how you feel and how you live. The way we think dictates how, how we speak. The way we think dictates how we interpret things. What we think about will shape how we live. Philippians 4, 6, says, uh, I think this is the verse Bree read. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, get with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Don't be nervous. Don't be scared. Don't be anxious about everything. But with thanksgiving, let your, let your prayers be known to God. When you begin to assume the best, when you begin to, to look for the positives, it will shape how you feel. It will shape how you, your perspective. So number one is your thoughts. Number two is your words. Number two is your words. Psalm 34, one. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. David was one of the most grateful people in all of the Bible. I praise you, O God, the most quoted and most requoted and most rephrased phrase in the entire Bible by David. He was one of the most thankful people. He did not have an easy life. I don't want us to get caught up thinking that people in the Bible had this like everything was easy for them and nothing ever was hard. He had a hard life and yet he was one of the most grateful people in all of scriptures. And he would praise God with his, he wrote it down. We have, we have Psalms and even today, thousands of years later, we're singing the same songs that David wrote in the midst of his difficulty because he was thankful for what God had given him. He actually articulated it with his words. So with your thoughts, with your words, and with your actions. What are you doing to display that you have gratitude? What are we doing to, to say that we are thankful? I read this earlier. Whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how can we, how can we be thankful through our actions? We can serve people. We can realize that I've been given, you know, more than I rightfully deserve. And so I want to give to other people. We worship God. We choose joy. We say thank you to other people when they give us things. We, we actually exercise being grateful people. We're going to close talking about Luke 17. Luke 17, this is Jesus hanging out. Verse 11 says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return, or was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is a story of these ten guys with leprosy. We don't have leprosy today, Thankfully. Leprosy was like this horrible, basically the word leprosy here is, to, is describing any disease that uh, causes you to, or has like skin, skin disease. But what leprosy was is that basically it takes away your feeling of pain as part of it. And so like these lepers, it was like really contagious. And so they couldn't be around people or touch other people because if, they, if you just touch someone and you had leprosy, then you would get leprosy. And, and inevitably what happened is parts of your body would, this is gross, okay, but you would start dying and like, so like your fingers would start falling off and like, like this is gross, your skin would start falling off and it's just really, you'd have sores all over. It's just really gross. You know, it's like, I heard the songs, leprosy, all my skin is falling off of me. I'm half the man I used to be all because of leprosy. I think the Beatles wrote that. Anyway, no. 
so these guys had these lepers came and all 10 of them, all 10 of them came and asked to be healed. And Jesus said, go present yourself to the priests. This is because they couldn't go worship God because they had leprosy. So he said, go and present yourself to the priest. And on their way, they were healed. And of the 10, only one turned around, came back, fell at Jesus' feet and said, thank you. This is no different than today. So many of us live with so much blessing. We don't really understand how much we're blessed. Do you know that the kings of the earth, like literally when the guys that were the wealthiest in the entire nation and ruled countries a few hundred years ago did not have running water. They didn't have a microwave. They didn't have a car. I mean, we today, we are so blessed. We don't even know. They didn't have pizza, right? I know. How's how sad? We're so blessed. And so few of us actually take the time to return to Jesus and say, Jesus, I just want to thank you for the things I don't even necessarily think about. Thank you that when I woke up this morning, I, I was breathing, you know? Colossians says that Jesus holds all things together. He is the sustainer of life. So when every breath that we breathe, that was a gift from God. That's breath. That's a gift. Thank you that I can walk today. Thank you that I have friends. Thank you that, thank you that whatever it is. But how many of us are thankful people? How many of us are this one guy who returned? And how many of us are guilty of being the nine who didn't? So this guy comes back. He falls at Jesus' feet. With his actions, he started worshiping and he started being thankful. He actually took time to return. Jesus looks at him and as a Samaritan, he wasn't supposed to get along with Jesus, who was a Jew. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. Jesus, so, so because of that, this Samaritan guy knew what? That he had gotten more than he deserved. That Jesus realistically, if he just went with the culture of the day, shouldn't have healed him but he got a better deal than he deserved. And so he turned around and he came back and he kneeled at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, one of you came back. You are the only one. Rise up. Your faith has healed you. If you read the interpretation of that phrase, it says your faith has made you whole. And it's actually the word, and I don't need to bore you with, with Greek translation, but it's actually the word that is translated for your faith has saved you. See, all the others got physically healed that day. But this one that returned was made whole. And he entered into relationship and his soul was healed that day. Why? Because he was thankful. God loves a thankful heart. And he acts when we we come with gratitude in our spirit, gratitude in our heart. He he moves, he acts, he, he, he pours out blessing on us. We all know that when we give something to somebody... And they are grateful, like authentically grateful for it. That doesn't make you want to stop giving them things. It makes you say, man, that was, I want to give them more. But when you give something to somebody and they have no gratitude, they're not thankful. It does make you say, well, maybe next time I don't want to give as much. Let's be people that take the time to return to Jesus, to fall at his feet. Will we be the one? Or will we be part of the 90% 
that just go on living, take the blessings of God for granted, live with an entitled perspective, like we deserve everything we get? Or will we recognize, no, I've been adopted into the family of the King of Kings. I didn't deserve this. I didn't do, I'm not, I can't earn my way into the kingdom. There's nothing I can do that is, that gets me in. It is simply because he loves me and he's, and, and because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, I get more than I deserve. And so because of that, I'm gonna be thankful for everything. And I have such gratitude in my heart. And I'm telling you, if we would be people that walk with a spirit of gratitude, you will see it change your life. You will see how much I believe there will be blessing, more and more blessing poured out on you. But even beyond that, just the nature of what it does to our perspective and how we see things will cause you to have, uh, uh, you'll be happier, you'll have more joy, which usually means you'll, people will like hanging out with you more. You'll probably have more friends. I don't know all the, I don't know all the things that'll happen. But if we would begin to live with gratitude in our heart, saying, how can I be thankful in this moment? What are the ways that, I, what are the things I can be thankful for? It'll change the way we think. It'll change the way we see things. And, and I believe that joy will spring up. And I believe you'll begin to be blessed more and more. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, we want to take time here this morning to just say thank you. Just, I'm going to encourage you right where you're at. Just... On your own, let's just begin to thank him for the blessings he's given. Let's thank him for redemption and and salvation. Let's thank him for the blessings that we get to have food to eat. That we thank him for your health. Thank him for your friends. Let's just begin to thank him for how he's provided, how he's protected. Jesus, you have lavished your love on us. You have poured out so much. And we want to be people that are thankful and grateful. We want to be people that know that we've gotten a better deal than we deserve. We don't say that to belittle ourselves. We say that to exalt you. Because you have given us so much. We worship you. God, I ask for each one of us that we would work on our attitudes to be a grateful people have thanksgiving. May we take time every day, just to, just small amounts of time even, just to thank you for how you've blessed us, for how you've provided, for what you've done. I pray that in that, through that, you would give us joy in all circumstances, in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficult times, when things seem hard, may we have joy as we thank you for what you have given And as we thank you that you are the one that protects us and provides for us. And even when things seem difficult, even like David in the wilderness, when he couldn't see how becoming king would happen, we can trust in you because your ways are higher than our ways. We can trust that you will be faithful to complete the work which you have started in us. So we trust you and we thank you for what you're going to do. Jesus name. Amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. 
I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.